This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome to Journey of Life number five. For those of you who want to sign up to our WhatsApp group, tinyurl.com forward slash Rabbi Epstein. Um, tonight's share should be a schus for Sharia Ben Daphna. I'll talk about this name soon, who is one of our Chaylim on the front lines. And tonight's share, and a lot of the stream we're going to be doing going forward, is going to be as a schus for him specifically. So tonight's share is the concept of Yarish Shemayim. So we're going through the Sefer Arachat Yesher, and Rechayim Kanievsky talks about many ideas. This is, we skipped a little bit, and we're now up to this idea. And I, I saw this idea was percolating in my mind, and then I went for a long walk with my wife, and the idea behind Yira Shemayim, specifically focused on the word Yira, fear, is something which I think is very appropriate just like today, like where we're holding like in today's moth within the world. So let's build up this idea of what we classically understand as Yerushalayim, and then let's try to add a little bit just to get like basic, practical understanding for our everyday lives as it is today. So Kehela, Kehela says as follows, ends off, Shlomo HaMelech, wisest of all men, he says, Saif Davar, the end of the day, after all the Mashalim, after everything I've taught you, after everything you, you need to know, Saif Davar Hakol Nishma, what does it all come down to? Esa Elikim Yira, Shamar, Adam. The totality of man is Yira Shemayim. That's it. After everything I told you in, in Kehelas, after all the Svarim that I've written, you want to know like the ultimate Chachma, the ultimate Yira Shemayim, you want to know like the ultimate Yiddishkeit, I'll call it. Everything comes down simply to Yira Shemayim. If Yira Shemayim, you're good to go. That's the end of everything. You don't have to know anything else. If you just keep that in mind, you should just know you're good. And Rechaim Kanesi goes through Kedarkai, like the way he usually does it. He just lists like a million Mamre Chazal that emphasize the same idea. But the idea is it's brought down so many places that somebody could be considered a Chacham, they could be considered a, the, the highest level compliment that you could give somebody is that they're Yerush And we've discussed here in the past that, you know, a lot of times when we have panels on different things, people ask like, what is the number one issue that is, you know, facing Kali Israel today? And I mean, obviously today, you know, we're talking, we're in a war, so it might be a little bit different, our viewpoint. But in, in a classic sense, I think most people would agree that we have a lot of people who go through their day, they go through their life, and there's not a lot of meaning in a lot of what we do. Like we do it, but there's just, it's like, it's, it's missing something. Very empty. Our Yiddish guy is very empty. If I would say to you, like, what does Yerushimayim mean? I think most people would understand. Like, Yerushimayim is, is, is an internal, I'll, I'll use the word fear for now. It's an internal fear. It's an internal feeling, let's call it. And that feeling makes, it, makes things real. Like, when you're scared, if you're walking, if you try this with your friend, you're walking and somebody like, just jumps out of the bush and goes, boom, right? Or they just scare you. Like, it, 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 it hits you so hard in your gut. You're like, oh my gosh. Like, it's such a jolt. It's a feeling, right? If we had that feeling when it comes to the things that we saw and the things that we did, that idea is, in a sense, again, we're leading up over here, the concept of Yerushimayim. It means that the things that you do, it's done with a certain feeling. And a feeling is a real feeling. It's a jolt. That is the idea of Yerushimayim. It's not empty. The things that you're doing are not empty. We know, obviously, that one of the Sheish Mitzvahs to medias is Yerushimayim. A person has to constantly have this innate feeling. 
I think it's impossible to think that we're supposed to walk around with a fear. Fear, walking around all day, like petrified of Hashem, is, it's almost like you can't, can't function, you can't live. So that can't be the case. So as I was thinking this sheer through, I was like, okay, that can't clearly be what it means. It's got to mean something else. So what does it mean? Okay. Now, just to build one more thing over here, is that Yosef HaTzadik, when he talks to his brothers, if I would say to you, who in Chazal was the quintessential Yerushimayim, it's Yosef, right? The whole Vayimayim movement today is based on Vayimayim, which was Yosef's words, right? Vayimayim. Yosef was a Yerushimayim. And in fact, Yosef says about himself, you should know, I'm a Yerushimayim. When he's talking to his brothers and he's negotiating with them, before they realize he was Yosef at Tzadik, he says to them, Zois asu this is what you should do and you will live. When he's telling them that they have to go back to Canaan, they have to bring Yaakov and they have to bring Binyam, and he's going through the whole back and forth. Zais asu this is what you should do. And then he slips in a few words. He says, Kim ani yare. You should know I'm a Yare Shemayim. At this point in the story, they don't even know who he is. But he slips in, by the way, guys, I'm a Yare Shemayim. They're like, okay. He's like, then go back to Canaan and bring down your brothers. By the way, I'm a Yare Shemayim. But Chazal jump on this idea that Yosef slipped in. Like right here, you should just know, I'm a Yare Shemayim. And we know Yosef HaTzadik was called Yosef HaTzadik because he was Yosef HaTzadik. He had something. What did he have? He had a fear, right? Look at that. He had a fear of doing something wrong. But I, I, I think that if we could define this in a simple sense, what we would say is that we, we have the externals that we do, maybe the externals that we don't do, but the external, I'll call them the assays and the lace assays, it usually comes down to the actions that we do. The idea of Yerushimayim is the internal feeling, which Chazal call the preservative to all of Yiddishkeit. Meaning you can, right? I'm sure people here have baked the cake, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Okay, if you haven't, then <laughs> I'm not hinting anything. I'm just saying one day you may um, need that skill, right? Or you may make some food, right? It has a very short shelf life. It will be gone very soon, right? In Israel, they don't use a lot of preservatives, which is why like, when you buy like a loaf of bread, it tastes delicious right away. And then like two hours later, it's like, it's like rock hard. There's no preservatives, right? It's great if you eat it like as it comes out of the oven and then in America, you buy it, it's like a week later, and it's like, it's, it still feels fresh, right? It doesn't have that same oomph, that same, there's, there's a difference. The one that has the preservatives, it has a shelf life. And Chazal say that the shelf life for all of Yiddishkeit, for all mitzvahs, for all, everything you're going to ever do in your life, the preservative is Yerushimayim. If we, if we understand that, then I think we can sort of break it into two. One is, again, the things that we do the actions, the words, maybe the thoughts. The second is an internal feeling. And what is that feeling? What are we trying to accomplish? So I have a good friend who does investments. He's basically, that's his job. And he told me that he was sitting with somebody who presented him with a tremendous opportunity. The guy gave him all these spreadsheets and he was showing him all these decks. He was going through like a whole presentation. And he was like, yeah, you can make X amount of dollars. It's for sure. He was selling him on the whole thing. And my friend asked him, he said, what happens if this doesn't pan out the way you think it's going to? Like, what's going to happen? So the guy said, why? Like, why wouldn't it happen? So he said, I don't know. What if this guy defaults? And what if this thing goes wrong? And what? So he said, the guy's demeanor changed. The minute this question was asked, the guy's demeanor changed. And he said, if this guy would default, I would go after him. 
my attorneys wouldn't give him a, like one night that this guy could sleep. He, I'm going to take his assets. I'm going to go after his family. I'm going to destroy this guy's life. So my friend turned to this guy and he said, uh-huh, 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 I hear. So till now, you appeared normal. Now I see the behind the curtain who you really are. A guy like you, I would never do business with. So please never, ever speak to me about any deals because I, I can't talk to you. You're just somebody that I just don't relate to your level. I'll put words into his mouth of Yerushalayim. Meaning what you present on the outside is almost worthless to who you are on the inside. And who you are on the inside, when nobody's looking, perhaps, who you are on the inside in your own Yiddishkeit, the things that nobody knows about, that, that behind the scenes, that, if I were to define it, I would say that is, I think, the basics of Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim is a fear that it carries you not on the external level. It's, it's the davening that nobody sees. It's the tehillim that nobody sees. I would even argue it's the feelings when nobody sees. I just saw such a beautiful vart from Nassim Svifinkel. He, he said that we know this week's parasha, right? It says that Nayach obviously survived the Mabal, and the Mabal was called May Nayach, the waters of Nayach. Why? Because while Nayach saved his whole family, he didn't daven for his generation. Reb Nassim Sifingal asked a question. He says, I don't understand something. Avram Avinu, we've spoken about this, Avram Avinu, he davened to save Sudan, right? And he went from 50 to 40 to 30 to 20, right? To 10, to nine, and they stopped. Why? Because Avram Avinu knew that eight people was not enough to save. You needed at least a minion, or nine, and him would be the minion. Eight was not enough. So if not, since you asked the question, I don't understand something. So why was Nayach punished? Why was it called May Nayach if at the end of the day, Nayach it wouldn't have done anything? There was only eight people. If you make a cheshben, it was Nayach, his wife, his children, and their wives. That was it. There were eight people. Eight people couldn't have saved the people anyways. So why was Nayach punished that it was a bizayan that he was called the whole, the whole everything, the whole marble happened because of you? I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, you didn't daven. Who cares? You wouldn't have done anything anyways. So if nothing, so you think I'll answer so pasha, so beautifully. He says, because that's not why it's called Menaya. It's because you didn't cry for your generation. It didn't hurt you. It didn't bother you. That's why. You were just stoic as millions of people just drowned and died. It didn't bother you whatsoever. You didn't cry out. So what? So your tefillah wouldn't have done anything. Your job is to feel the right feelings. Avram Avinu, he davened, he davened, he davened. He cried his eyes out, even though it didn't do anything. But he said, I'm going to try. Maybe, maybe there's a loophole. Maybe there's a schoz. Nayach didn't do that. I said, you didn't even do that. There's something, there's something chaser. There's something missing with you. Which is why later on we find that Nayach almost had like a yurida. He went down in the eyes of Hashem. Didn't cry for your whole generation. The, the things that happen behind closed doors, in a certain sense, I think is the basic premise of Yerushalayim. It's the feelings that we feel which motivate the things that we do or prevent us from doing things that we don't necessarily do. But what struck me, going back to this question, how is a person supposed to feel that feeling all the time? It's almost like, a, like, you're, like you're gripped in fear. 
And I think that there's two parts, if we could call fear, we're going to split it into two, what I would call yira, okay? One part of yira is what we've been talking about until now, which is almost what we would describe as yiras hachit. If somebody says to you, you should know if you do this, you're going to bring a mobble on the world. If you do this, there's going to be a bomb that goes off. If you do this, you're going to go to Gehenna. Feeling like that is a almost debilitating feeling. It's a negative feeling, right? This happens, you're going to be punished. Okay, fine, I won't do it, right? In today's vote, like vernacular, we don't tell children they're going to be punished. We say there's going to be consequences. I think there's going to be consequences, right? So somebody says, if you do this, there's going to be consequences. Say, okay, fine, then I'm not going to do it, right? That is, I think, the basic level of, of like what I would call like yirasachet. Like a person is scared. You're scared to do an avera because there's going to be punishment, right? We don't want to be punished. It's almost like you tell a criminal, like, don't do this. It's not worth it. Don't steal this money. Don't don't rob a bank. You're going to go to jail. Oh, I'm going to go to jail. I don't want to do it. It's a low level. It's a level, but it's a low level. Some people don't even have that level, right? Some people walk into a bank and they. You're like, are you crazy? You're risking your whole life, your whole future for, for $2,000, what you're going to get from the teller? It's, it's, it's silly, short-sighted. So they don't even have that feeling. So the basic is that you have that feeling, right? But I think that there's a different level. The level of yiras haremimus is what I would call awe. Being in awe of something is different than being in fear of something. And I would say that in Hebrew, the word yira can oftentimes mean fear, and oftentimes it can mean awe. And whereas fear can be debilitating, it can make you stop, yira, when it's awe, can actually be motivating. It can propel you forward to do something, to have meaning to what you're doing. I remember simple, small mashal on this is, I once heard a beautiful thing that when, when you see beauty, like in nature, a lot of people say, like, oh my gosh, that was out of this world, right? It's almost like transcendent. It's like a sunset, right? It's like, it's like transcendent, right? People say, wow, that's awesome, right? The word awe, right? It's there. Transcends out of this world. What does that mean? It's out of this world. It's like, it's godly, right? Your brain goes there. I remember when I was standing like literally five feet from Niagara Falls, feeling like a certain rush. Wow, like Hashem created this power. It's like a nuclear energy and gorgeous and you're standing right there you could you could feel it you could touch it it's not it's a fear of hashem it's not like oh hashem if i don't put on film tomorrow i could fall off the fall no it's like whoa like whoa could you just could you just take in this breathtaking beauty could you just like understand the expansiveness of the world that feeling that is, is awesome it's awesome and i would i would argue that of course, you have to have yiras achit. Don't do this because, you know, achit is bad. But I think that the higher level, which is part of the sheish mitzvahs to medias, is to fill yourself up with awe. Wow. What a schus to live in this world. What a schus to do mitzvahs. What a schus to live with the king. What a schus to be a bas mela. What a schus. I, I was just sitting with a couple and I told the husband, I said, your wife has to feel from you that it's a schuss to be married to her. You need to express to her like, wow, just having you in my life, I feel like I feel like I won the lottery. And then I, I saw his brain started spinning. So I said, and don't say what you're about to say. <laughs> He's like, you read my mind. I said, I know. Okay. <laughs> that, that's a goal. 
the goal is that when we go through the day, it doesn't just prevent us from stepping over line. It it propels us to do things with meaning. I was just thinking through like a muscle that would correlate to this. As a general rule, you may notice if you listen to any of my speeches that I don't like Mishalom about kings and I think they're very cliche. I, I don't know. It just doesn't speak to me. I like more like practical things, whatever, just as a side note. Um, I'm other people who, whatever, it, Hashem should bless them. But for me, it, it's very hard for me, like, whatever. I, I was thinking like a practical thing. And well, I'll tell you what struck me. What struck me was at the end of World War II, I'm very fascinated with World War II, the Holocaust, the whole history. But then the World War II, which I'm sure you know, President Truman was presented with two plans. On the one hand, America could go ahead and basically invade Japan, in which case they would lose a million people, estimated. On the other hand, they could drop two nuclear bombs. And he chose dropping two nuclear bombs. And the way that they went about dropping the bombs was every day for over a month, they flew a certain amount of planes with 90 people. It was like a squadron that flew over same route every day. And it appeared to the Japanese like there was like nothing going on. It was just like reconnaissance. And they did this every day for 90 days. And I'm sorry, not 90 days, over 30 days. And then after 30 days of flying the same mission with these 90 men, they then loaded up the nuclear bomb. They told the men what they were going to do because they had to understand the magnitude of what was happening here. And they went ahead and they bombed two times, right? Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And those two blasts over... It's a machlekes because a lot of people were were gone, right? But it's somewhere between like 175,000 to 225,000 people died. That number is a number you can't even wrap your brain around. Okay, it's it's a tremendous amount of people like this in, in an instant. And they told these 90 people, "You need to understand that what you're doing now is something that's it's unprecedented. It, there's never been such capacity in the world for such destruction. But what you're doing is you're saving a million American lives." And your conscience has to come to terms with this because you can't chicken out at the last minute. Literally, the fate of the world is resting in this mission. And they interviewed the 90 people after. And they, they said that of the 90 people, 89 of them, even until their dying day, were totally at ease with everything that happened. There was one guy who had charata. There was one guy who, who, who just, he couldn't live with himself. He just like, he fell apart emotionally. But the other 89 people, they really came to terms with it. They said, I, I internalized that literally the fate of the world, humanity, is, is in my hands. We just fought the bloodiest war in the history of the world for six years, right? Since 1939 through 1945, 100 million people died. And there was an, a possibility here to stop that. Yes, a, a, a million Americans could die. Probably hundreds of thousands or millions of Japanese would also die. Like these numbers are staggering. But they said that when they were sitting on the plane with this massive bomb, knowing what they were about to do, they were totally at ease. But there was also the realization that if this plane were to get shot out of the air, or if something were to go wrong, there'd be a mechanical failure. The magnitude of what this mission represented was just awesome. They were filled with awe. Their brains were super focused laser focused you have to get a good night's sleep couldn't be in a fight with your wife you couldn't be drunk you couldn't be hungover you had to make sure you were like going about this 
with the proper covered rice, like you, you hold the key to the success of World War II in your hand. And that's what happened. They lived the rest of their lives, 89 out of 90 of these men, completely at ease with their decision. That's Yiras Haremimus. It's, I'm on a mission. I'm doing something that's meaningful. My life has purpose. My actions have purpose. My thoughts have purpose. My speech has purpose. I can build and I can destroy. It's a realization. It's an internalization of that realization. When this whole war broke out, I think a lot of people were gripped with a certain amount of fear. I think that idea of terrorism is exactly that. It's the fear side of Yira. It's it's the side where they're trying to get people just to simply be fearful. And what happens when you're fearful? It's debilitating. It's almost like you just you just stop. I, I can't I can't get out of bed. I can't I can't go out. I can't go I can't go to the gas station. I can't go shopping. I can't get back to myself. Right? That's the fear side that terrorists try to strike into the hearts and minds of people across the globe. People they don't even know. That's their goal. Their goal is fear. What struck me is that if you if you're tuned into what's actually going on in the Jewish world. Somehow they took Benny Friedman, got him in front of a microphone. Nine minutes after this thing happened, he came out with like a new video with the hit songs of every single, like, Am Yisrael Chai, down to Anachim Aminim B'nei Aminim, to every single Jewish song in, in two minutes. And it's across the Jewish world. Every single person knows it, right? They gave out thousands of tens of thousands of peers of tzitzis overnight. People being like burning their clothes that are not Sanua. Taking Kabbalists, but like all of a sudden people calling up, hi, I've never kept Shabbos before. I want to keep Shabbos and light candles. The amount of outpouring from us people, us, Achinu Bnei Yisrael, towards this matav is unbelievable. The, the awesomeness, the motivation that it pushed people. So yes, there is the fear because that's the natural lower level of Yira, but what it actually produced was more Yiras Haraimimus than I think Hamas intended for us to have. And if you want to counterbalance fear, it comes about by balancing it with awe. And if you see what's going on, I think it's very, very clear that the distinction is, is just staring at you in the face. For me, when this whole thing happens, obviously there's so many things to tune into. But there was, there was one thing that Ari Goldwag had put out in a shear. And it happens to be that he quoted a Gemara that I happen to be learning with my Kavruza. And I, I want to share this with you, a small snippet, because I, I went to shul, I opened this up, I learned this through, and then I came home and I learned it through with my wife. And when we finished, my wife just like put on a big smile and she was like, this is the feeling I'm talking about. I'll explain to you what I mean. His shear is an hour long. I'm not going to go through the whole share, okay? But there's one snippet that he said. He was talking about how he's obviously not quoting, you know, this is the Geula, we always were Mitzapel Yeshua all the time. But what he's, he quoted a Marsha, the Marsha in Sanhedrin, the Gemara talks about when a person's allowed to make an Ibriya. That's, that's the Gemara's question. What's the earliest you're allowed to make an Ibriya? And the Gemara gives different opinions, and the Gemara comes out, the Gemara says, really, it's Rosh Hashanah, but however, we Paskin, you can make it as early as Rosh Chodesh Av. Okay, that's what the Gemara says. Rosh Chodesh Av. And then the Gemara gives like a whole very interesting story of people who came 
and they were carrying with them something very important, techelas, and they came and they said that they made it every hour. It's like a whole very cryptic Gemara. The Marsha in the back goes through this, and he was quoting not just the Marsha, but the general idea was that we know, interestingly, that when we talk about Mashiach, we talk about the Chevle Leda, right, of Mashiach, that it's almost like childbirth. And childbirth has its stages of pain, and then it, something happens, and pain, and something happens, right? Contractions, like something's going on, something happens, something happens. And he was tying in the idea that when we speak about an Ibriar, the word Ibr is like Ibor, it's, it's pregnant. Like the year is pregnant, because you have your regular year, and then you have your year which is sticking out a little bit more. It's pregnant. We never think about it, but when we talk about, oh, this year is an Ibriar, oh, what does that mean? It means this year is a, a pregnant year. There's something going on. There's an extra month this year. So if you think about it, what he was saying was, when is the Ibriyar? Like, when does it happen? So we know that we split the last month of the year, which is, ah, they're split into two, right? When is the time you're allowed to make this happen? You're allowed to, you're allowed to make this happen from Rosh Chodesh Av. So if you think about it, Rosh Chodesh Av, Elul, Tishrei, Feshvan, Kisli, Heves, Shvat, Adar, Adar, which is nine months. So something's happening here at the end of your nine months, and it's conceived over here at the beginning of the nine, nine months. But it's like very hidden. You don't know about it. But when does that thing start to come about? Like When do we start to see that somebody's pregnant? Well, Av Elul, the end of Tishrei, is when you start to see like something's going on. It's very painful in that time. And then you start to see that something else develops over the rest of the course of that Ibriyar, and then it has its culmination at the end of that year. What does that mean? I don't know, right? But how many of us had a million questions? Like, why did something happen specifically on this date, right? Some chasterish meaning at Like, why did it happen then specifically? I don't know. We asked this question last time. Said, I don't know. I don't. I still don't know, right? But the Marshal goes through the idea of an Ibriyar, and he also talks about how it's Mashiach ben David and Mashiach ben Yasef. And Mashiach ben Yasef, Yasef is compared to fish, right? That's why he doesn't have Ayin Hara. And Mazel Adar is Dagen, right? So Mashiach ben Yasef can be that he comes from Yasef or he comes from the Hashpa of Yasef in the months of Yasef, whatever that means. I don't know what these things mean, but that's what the Marshal said. And at the end of this long Marshal, he says, and the fact that these men were carrying Tchelas you should know that La'asad Lavai, the Gu'ula, will come about because of the schos of Tzitzis and Tchelet. Now, I don't think anybody read this Marsha before they decided to go on a campaign across Israel, giving out literally tens or hundreds of thousands of peers of Tzitzis to people across, the, across Eretz Yisrael. But it's unbelievable that the things that are just built in, we're, we don't even know that it exists. It's, it's almost like in the DNA of the world, in the fabric of the world. That, that these things happen. Now, he was also going through Ari Goldberg, just making a, a simple cheshben, that we know that the world is on a 19-year cycle, that we have seven Ibriyars, seven pregnant years within every 19 years. And if you start going back, you start to notice that there's cycles, for example, 1948 and 1967. Those two happen to fall on the same 19-year thing, which both happen to be Ibriyars, Right. And he started just going through like a lot of things that happened. 2005 is in that same 19-year cycle. And that was the year that Hamas was given full control of Gaza. I don't know what these things mean. I, I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. You could ask Ari Goldwag, and I'm sure he'll explain it to you. Okay? But what struck me from this year and from this Marsha as I was reading it was that I absolutely have no idea what this is talking about. 
But this is fascinating to understand that my small understanding of the world is so tiny compared to like what's actually going on. And when we think we live in the world of fear, it's simply because our limited knowledge just, it, it creates the fear because that's all we could see. But if we could expand our horizons to like understand the Yeras Haraimimus, the big picture, that there's a story that's written for not just thousands of years, but before the world was even created, this whole blueprint was put into, into motion. And we're very small pieces of a master plan. Somehow we're, in, we're born into this world, into this generation. We live where we live. All that was predestined. But our Bechira, the thing that we're able to choose, because Hakobi De Shemayim, everything is predestined. Except for how you will process Yerushalayim. Will you live in fear? That short-sightedness? That little, oh, I can't do this because Hashem's going to strike me down. Or are you going to live with real Yerushalayim? Which is Yeras Harimus. Wow. I am a daughter of the queen. I am a daughter of the king. I am royalty. The way I perceive the world is through that. The way I do my mitzvahs is like that. It's not the leisaseh. It's not the leisaseh. The leisaseh is the lower level. It's don't do this because you're bringing destruction to the world. Fine. It's the assays. It's the davening. It's the simcha. It's the Shabbos. It's, it's everything that we do on a day-to-day basis. That beauty, that realness that we fill ourselves up with, that's true Yeras Shemayim. The reason why I opened the share of saying that this was a schuss for the soldier, Sharia ben Daphna, is because there's a small movement, and it's one of like a million movements, but I thought I would share this. The small movement is called ShareJustOneThing.com. ShareJustOneThing.com. It's very simple. You put in your name, you take a Kabbalah, and they give you a soldier that you'll do something as a schuss for that soldier, and you're partnered up. And besides for obviously the basic premise of connecting with a soldier, it struck me that they give a bunch of suggestions for things that you can do. It struck me that this is the avoda of every relationship, whether it's husband and wife, parents and children, or us and Asha. It's that we go through our days and we just do what we do because we do it. But stopping for a minute and just having that awareness that's real Yerushalayim. The idea of living that Hashem is in your house. Not in a weird way, not in a strange way, but like that, that awareness. Like, I'm a chelik elikami mal, I'm a piece of Hashem. My actions should really reflect that. And what struck me, just to end off, is that Yosef HaTzadik, right? If I said to you, tell me, why did Yosef HaTzadik have Yerushalayim? He says to his brothers, guys, you should know, I had Yerushalayim. You'd say, yeah, because he didn't do an Avera, right? What did Yosef HaTzadik see that made him stop and say, I have Yerushalayim? What did he see? The Medrash says, He saw his father's face. Now, how did Yosef see his father's face? How does that make sense? All of a sudden, he had an image of his father's face. Chazal tells us that Yosef HaTzadik was a spitting image of Yaakov. And there's even a question, how in the world did the brothers stand in front of Yosef and not realize that this was their brother because he looked exactly like their father, right? Obvious question. And the answer that's given is because 
the last place in the world they thought that they would see Yosef is in the palace. They thought he'd be in the gutter. He's standing here, and they couldn't even wrap their brain around it. But the question is such a powerful question because Yosef Hatzadik looked exactly like Yaakov. And in many ways, what we're really saying here is that Yosef Hatzadik didn't see his father. He saw a likeness of his father. It's almost like he walked by a mirror and he saw himself. And instead of him saying, oh my gosh, something bad is going to happen. Oh my gosh. He said, you know who I am? I'm one of the shift ka. The Madras says, he said to himself, you know what's going to happen? My brothers are going to be written, the chayshin, the eifayd, the letters are going to light up with our names to talk to Klai Yisrael. That's what's going to be, right? When we don't have nevuah and it starts going down and down and down, they're going to be able to communicate with, with Hashem through the chayshin and the eifayd. That's going to be the letters that are going to light up. What names were on there? The letters of the Shvatim. And he said, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to achieve that level, right? Yaakov Avinu, to be able to say like, mitasi shalema, like all of my tribes are all shalem, that's not going to happen. He held himself to his own standard. Who am I? I'm royalty. I'm Yaakov Avinu's son. Okay, I also happen to be like the king of Egypt, but that's nothing. Who am I? What lies inside of me is a nuclear energy. What lies inside of me is the potential to really, really connect to Hashem. What lies inside of me is the ability to really say Asher Yatsar with Kavana and to say a bracha with Kavana and to build somebody up and to call somebody and just say, I just want you to know, I'm thinking about you. I, I don't even want to make this hard. You don't have to call somebody that you hate. Call somebody that you love. Just say, I'm thinking about you. Send somebody a text. If you have a texting phone, right? It's so easy. The little things are so easy. The feeling is so easy. And that was Nayak's mistake. Nayak's mistake was, if I'm not going to accomplish something, if I'm not moving mountains, then what's the point? The point is the feeling. And if you don't have that feeling, then you're not living with the preservatives. The mitzvahs that you do, the actions that you do, they're good. And then they fizzle out. But when there's a feeling, when there's true love, when, you, when the people around you feel lucky, that you feel lucky to be in a relationship with them, when you feel lucky to be able to daven, to be able to say mitzvahs, to be able to do all the things that Hashem gave you in your life, that is true Yerushalayim. I think that it, it reframes for us a lot the way we classically understand to have Yerushalayim. Because we usually understand, I think, maybe 1% or 2% of what this really truly means. And it's an avayda, because this is not a natural thing. I was thinking that almost every fear is natural. A dog jumps out, scares the daylights out of you, right? You get up to speak in front of a million people, you have a fear of public speaking, right? If you're going into a new event and there's like a fear of rejection of new people, it's a natural fear, right? Nobody has to tell you to have the fear. This fear is a fear that is not natural. It's something that has to be built because it's not fear. It's awe. And when you have that little nisham inside of you that says, let's spark up a little bit, pintaliyid, maybe this doesn't feel right or Maybe I should do this with a little bit more. Maybe I'm running through this a little bit more. That feeling has to be tapped into. And that's the Avaita of living with Yerushimayim. And if you do that, this is what it means to really be a Yid. To live your life as a Yid is to fill yourself up with true, real Yerushimayim. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.